and welcome to Classical Stuff You Should Know, classical podcast put on by classical educators. Uh, my name is Thomas Magby, and I'm joined, as always, by Mr. A.J. Hannenberg. That's me. And Mr. Graham Donaldson. Hello. <laughs> Hello, indeed. Hello, and welcome to... <laughs> I'm Now I'm super self-conscious about how I greet myself. <laughs> that you sound like you're walking into a bank every time you do? I sound oh. like I'm walking to a friendly Canadian bank. But that means um, you sound friendly. This is a compliment, Graham. Oh, this is fine, but I don't I, know apparently that, I do probably it probably didn't mean it that way. No, I did. Oh, really? I didn't no. mean it as a bad thing. Oh, okay. Hello. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Graham, you are... Um, you have our topic for the day. That's right, boys. Yeah. Today we are going to learn about a very classical dude. Somebody who you could say started it all. Well, at least for philosophy. Uh, today we're learning about Socrates. Who is Socrates? What's the deal with Socrates? Um, what are the books that Socrates wrote? Spoilers, none. None. And why do we as classical people need to know about Socrates? And is philosophy just um, uh, all there is to the classical world? Or wow. is there like a war going on between classics and mythos? I know we talked about some of these things before. It's going to be a three-hour discussion. It's sense? not going to be oh, that. Yeah, long this, is, this is starting to sound like a long. But Socrates, awesome. Socrates is an important dude. Yeah. So let's talk a little bit about who he was. So Socrates was a Greek philosopher, uh, roughly around they they trace his, his years back to he was born about 470 BC before Christ or BCE before Common Era for you moderns out there. Uh, and then he died in 399 BC. Um, and he died because he was put on trial and he was tried guilty for a number of crimes. Corrupting the youth. Corrupting the youth and atheism were his two <laughs> crimes. And he was, his, his sentence was death and he had to drink poison. He had to drink hemlock and he killed himself. Um, I mean, he was forced to do it by the courts, so it was, uh, was it suicide? I don't know, probably, I don't think you would call it that. But he was forced to kill himself uh, by drinking poison because the courts uh, um, thought of him as dangerous to society. Was he? Do you agree with that? I don't think he was. Um, no. I mean, yes. In some ways, he was, <laughs> he was dangerous to society, but not. But it's a danger. It was a tension and a danger that society needs mm. as opposed he to. Would, yeah. I mean, when change comes, isn't that always a danger to society? Yeah. His, so his change power, was sure. a grand change. He, was, he changed a he lot. Things were not to the as status they quo. They said that yeah. he was challenging the status quo. And I mean, yes, he was in a way, but in another way, he was just wanting to understand the status quo. I mean, he was no also a bit him. of a jerkball, wasn't he? He was a bit of a jerkball. Yeah. Um, anyway, let's go there. So yeah, Socrates, okay. uh, things you need to know about him. He was reportedly tremendously ugly. Oh, in not an attractive man. One yeah. of, and, and people have said one of the ugliest men to have ever <laughs> walked the face of the earth. Uh, just, just an uh, ugly Are guy. Like specific, like he had a big nose or. I, um, uh, I don't know about like the specifics about his nose or whatnot. Um, I do know that he was a soldier when he was a young man. Oh. And he was reportedly impervious to like cold or hot. Uh, he was just someone who could really endure the elements more than your average man. Mm. Um, he could endure being hungry. Uh, he, he could sort of endure physical hardships more than others. And he was just an ugly dude. Mm. And, he, <laughs> and he was cool with it. <laughs> was he? Like he didn't... He didn't care. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, he had a wife. Poor guy. And he had some kids. Oh, wow. Okay. Never mind. Oh, the and wife she, was terrible. But she wasn't a very good person. Le legendary that she was a shrew. He spent a lot of his time in the streets asking questions because, because he didn't, he didn't want, want to go home. home. <laughs> yeah. And there, you, if you look her name up in the dictionary, it has become a word meaning ill-tempered or shrewish woman. Mm -hmm. Her name was Xantippes. X-A-N-T-H-I-P-P-E. Yep. Xantippes. Xantippe. And she was the worst. She, so she wasn't very good. So he was an ugly guy who could endure a lot and was married to someone who was, it was not a very, very happy person. And he had kids. But he was a philosopher. And he... Sort Which of, put loads of bread on the table and made yeah, his wife exactly. very happy. And he sort of had this one guiding philosophy. And I was sort of debating how we were going to structure this podcast if I saved it for the end. But I'm going to lead off with it. And in the, 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 the speech or in the, the, the dialogue uh, that we have that was uh, where Socrates is, is his trial, it's called the Apology. Apology meaning defense. Um, Socrates says that he had this guiding philosophy, this guiding mission that drove his life and was why he was a philosopher. And it was that somebody went to the oracle at Delphi and said to the oracle at Delphi, who's the wisest person out there? Who's the person that knows the most, the wisest man in the world? And the oracle said, Socrates. 
And word got back to Socrates, and Socrates was like, no, <laughs> no, there's no way that I'm the wisest person. And so he decided that he was going, but he's, he was in a bit of a concern because, well, the oracles aren't going to lie. But sometimes the oracles, like, say things that are true, but they're kind of, like, wishy-washy true to get you to screw up because oracles are sometimes jerks. Um, and so Socrates was concerned, and he really wanted to test this. So he went off and he was in, he went in search of anybody who had any sort of claim to wisdom in any field yeah. to ask them about their wisdom. And Socrates always left those conversations disappointed and towards the end of his life, Socrates realized that he was the wisest person in the world because he realized he was he realized he didn't know anything. And they all thought they knew stuff they didn't know. And everyone thought they knew stuff they didn't know. So Socrates was wise because he knew he was not wise, whereas the people who thought they were wise weren't wise because they thought they were wise. So this was Socrates' guiding mission was to try to find the wise man. Was it like specific things he was tearing down? Like, um, I don't know. Like, what are the things that he... That so, he, oh, he, someone would come into town and he would say, I know... So, ret philosophers and rhetoricians, and they would say, you know what justice is, Thomas? I'll mm. tell you what justice is. Justice is helping your friends and harming your enemies. That's justice. And Socrates would be like... People would come to Socrates, they'd be like, hey, this dude is talking about what justice is. He seems to know what it is. And Socrates would say... If somebody really knows what justice is, that would indeed be a valuable thing. Let's go talk to him and ask him. And so we'd sit him down and the guy would say, yeah, Socrates, I'll tell you what justice is. It's helping your friends and hurting your enemies. Mm. And Socrates would be like, huh. And then he would begin questioning him. And he would ask the guy questions. Who are your enemies? Who are your enemies? Who are your friends? Who are your friends? Uh, what does it mean to help a friend? What does it mean to hurt an enemy? Do enemies have friends? Mm. If your two enemies hurt each other, is that justice because your enemies are being hurt? Yeah. Wow. And so he would go on and he would get these people, he would basically probe them with questions and he would get them to the point where they were either saying contradictory things, at which point Socrates would say, you're saying something <laughs> contradictory, or he would get to the point where they would say, I hate you, Socrates. Mm. And they would storm <laughs> off angry. <laughs> One of the two. Mm -hmm. And so Socrates would be like, oh, I guess he didn't really know what justice was. And of course, this did not win him very many right. friends. That's what, I was wondering if people changed their mind, but it probably just makes people angry. There's, this is, there's actually, mm -hmm. a, I was talking about irony with my class the other day, and there's a thing called Socratic irony, <laughs> and it is the pose of ignorance to get someone wow. else to show that they are. It's, it's what Socrates did all the time, and it drove people crazy. He'd be like, I'm, I'm a dummy. Can you please tell me what this is? And mm -hmm. they would say it, and he's like, but what about this? What about this? What about this? And then you'd end up feeling like an idiot, and he would look up smart, and yeah. then you get frustrated. Exactly. Because there, there are sometimes where Socrates will, in, in Plato's writings, where Socrates will give an answer. But most yes. of the time, isn't he just tearing apart to say you don't so know anything? So this is the difficulty. So we have Socrates, who never wrote anything. Right. And then we have Plato, who was Socrates' pupil. And he wrote all of these various different dialogues of Socrates. And they're all on various themes. Um, and so some scholars say that when Socrates is giving a positive answer, I'll tell you what justice is. Mm -hmm. That's Plato using Socrates as yeah. a mouthpiece. And we don't really know what Socrates believed or what Plato is just putting in Socrates' right, mouth. Right, because Socrates is primarily just a character, character. in Plato's writings. Yeah, yeah. But we know he was a real guy, and that's who Plato learned from. Yeah. And so I would imagine that Plato wouldn't mar the good name of his great professor mm -hmm. by right. putting things in his mouth that he wouldn't have otherwise said. But he does say a lot, mm -hmm. like Socrates does take stances on a lot of things. He does. It, says, it appears that justice is the following, blah, and he'll say it. But it's probably the, the best version of mm -hmm. Socrates that Plato is presenting, right? Yes. Because it's, he respected him yes, so, exactly. so much. Yes, exactly. And so there's lots of scholars out there that try to distill maybe the core Socrates mm. beliefs, and some of them are the immortality of the soul and the... Um, and that knowledge, because your soul is immortal, that knowledge and learning is just a recollection. So when you're learning something, you're actually just recalling something that you knew before you were born kind hmm. of thing. That This is probably what Socrates taught. Okay. Um, but there's all these sorts of things that like get filled up in these, in these dialogues. And it's, and we don't really know when is this Platonic, when is this Socratic. So generally in history, when we talk about Socratic, we, we are generally talking about that method of asking questions, feigning ignorance, and doing what is this what we call the Socratic method, which we'll talk about. Plato requires a whole other podcast. <laughs> and what is Platonic? And what do we mean when we talk about something being uh, Platonic? Um, 
is is a whole other thing because that's his own his own philosophy. But today we're talking about Socrates. So um, the big there are some big dialogues, and the, some of the big dialogues were Republic. So Plato's Republic, where Socrates is asked by some interlocutors, uh, "What is justice?" Mm. Uh, they're just hanging out at some games, yep. right? Yeah, they're like, games. They're, they're, it's like they're at a festival. They're well, all hanging out in the bleachers, and then they're like, hey. They go, hey, they go home to uh, one of the interlocutors' dad's house, mm. who's yeah. rich and who's lived a good life, and then they're sitting around chatting, and then they say, what do you think? What is justice? But people come in and come out of the conversation. Mm-hmm. Like, dudes will get up and storm off. Yep. They'll be like, here's my take on it. And <laughs> then, you know, Socrates makes them look like a doofus. And then he's like, well, I got other things to attend to. And they yeah. leave. So there's usually a conversation. There's usually cool. two kinds of interlocutors. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. Plato is really, really accessible. Some yeah. people think, like, ancient philosophy, I could never read that. Plato, it's the Republic, yeah. incredibly readable. Yeah, that's yeah. very fun. Um, so there's usually two kinds of interlocutors. Those that think they know something and Socrates tears them down. They're like, I got to go to the market. <laughs> and, <laughs> and then there's... The interlocutors that at the end of it, they're like, yeah, I guess mm. I really didn't know anything. Yeah. Um, or even some that will be like, now that that guy's left Socrates, I didn't want to bring this up when he was around, but right. I have another question yeah, that yeah. is kind of rankling and may have frustrated that guy. So I didn't want to say it, but here's another mm-hmm. question. So yeah. there's there's like people of good intention and there's people yeah. of, of sort of proud proud. But is he answering the questions or is he giving more he does. He answers the questions and he will lead to an answer by asking questions. And so um, and so a lot of the dialogue is Socrates saying like, well, isn't it true that X? And the interlocutor is like, why, yes, it is. Mm. And then he says, okay, so if it is true that it is X, then surely it follows that Y. And they'll be like, of course, Socrates. How could it be anything else? And then it goes back and forth. And then there are these passages where Socrates is posing these rhetorical questions, but he's actually saying something mm. positive about an issue. Yeah. Or after he poses a bunch of questions, eventually they sort of work with it and Mm -hmm. figure it out, and then he'll come around and say, okay, so after all of our questions, it appears that justice is the following, Mm -hmm. right? He'll say, this is kind of where we've landed. Then he'll be like, but I get myself into trouble because Mm -hmm. now there's remaining questions, Mm -hmm. and he'll sort of outline those and then be like, yeah, and I get into some difficulties and... Yeah, so the Republic is all about what is the nature of justice. The symposium is a drinking party <laughs> where everyone has come around and they're all drinking. Oh, and this was another thing about Socrates. He could outdrink everybody. Oh, wow. <laughs> so he was known. So he was an ugly guy. Um, he drank a lot. He had a shrewish wife. Um, he could endure heat, hot and cold, and bouts of hunger. So he was a great soldier. And So if he, you didn't think antiquity was accessible, yeah, yeah. like you should find something to identify with. And he could outdrink everybody. Socrates. And um, so he's at this symposium, <laughs> and the question was, uh, what is Eros? What is love? And they all have these different takes as to what Eros is. Some say it's, you know, the love, be- you know, the sort of erotic love, sexual love. It's the thing that inspires courage and valor. There's this one guy that says, um, before we were human beings, we used to be mushed together. And then we were separated. And then we were, we're separated. And then when we find that soulmate, we are one again. That's a... Uh is that Aristophanes? I think it's the playwright. I think it is yeah. Aristophanes who was drunk at the party. Yeah. And uh, Aristophanes, Aristophanes and, uh, and Socrates were not buddies. Right. They hated each other. Yeah. Or at least Aristophanes hated Socrates. Um, but he's not alone in, in that. <laughs> and then in the symposium, Alcibiades, who is a politician who's super handsome, rushes in, drunk as a skunk, <laughs> and tries to use uh, poetry to seduce Socrates. Mm. Um, because he was a man who seduced all the men of the town, and Socrates was the only one that didn't get seduced by him. Seduced intellectually or seduced, like, seduced, seduced? Uh, like, seduced, seduced, okay. yeah. Um, and uh, Socrates wanted none of that and wanted to continue philosophizing. Alcibiades says, this is lame, let's get drunk. Everyone gets drunk, and the play, or the, the dialogue ends with everybody drunkenly waking up the next morning, mm. And Socrates is like, all right, you guys are awake. Let's keep talking about this. And they're like, oh. And he had been up all night talking to people about love and, and philosophizing about the nature of love and asking questions. So um, so because it's a dialogue and it's a conversation, there are views in the books that Plato would not have held. Correct. So there are th- so I don't know. The Aristoph- The only reason I know about that one is that it gets 
cited a lot of like, mm-hmm. oh, the Greeks thought this. Yeah. But that's not how it's presented. Yeah, Ar- Plato could have been lambasting Aristophanes, saying that Aristophanes thought we were marshmallow people back right. in the day that got separated. So just because it's in the book doesn't mean doesn't mean Plato that they believed that. it. Yeah. yeah, in the Republic, there's a guy who thinks that it is better to have the appearance of virtue rather than actual virtue. Mm-hmm. Right? I want everyone to think I'm a good guy while I'm actually not, not a good guy because I get all of the respect and all the advantages of being evil. Yeah. And so Socrates actually has to go out to beat that claim and mm. repudiate it and say, mm-hmm. no, that's not good for us at all. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so he has to go through and he, he act, that's where he talks about like the ordering of man mm. and reason and all mm-hmm. that stuff. That's cool. um, the next dialogue is Mino. Uh, and this is where Socrates is talking to Mino and they're talking about what is the nature of virtue, not specific individual virtues, but what is that thing? Is virtue that, one or many? What is that thing that is present in all the virtues that make us call it a virtue. What is erite? What is excellence? So general virtue. And in this dialogue, this is where Socrates talks about the immortality of the soul and that knowledge is a recollection. And then we have the famous Minos paradox. So here's a quiz show for you boys. Let's go. Let's and do you this. cannot Google this. What is Minos paradox? It's often confused with another paradox. This is, Zeno's paradox is the one yes. I'm thinking of, which is not the same thing. It's often confused with Zeno's paradox. I don't know. Sorry. Let him. So you were talking about virtue. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, my best guess is that it would be something about virtue being the mean between two things. Right? The, the the paradox is Mino says, wait, we're searching for virtue and none of us know what it is. How will we know when we find it? That's the paradox. Huh. If we don't know something, how will we know when we find it? And if we know when we find it, does that not mean that we know it? Yeah. And Socrates' answer to that is, well, we knew it before, and now we're just remembering So it's the it. recollection, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. What's Zeno's paradox, maybe? Zeno's paradox, so um, there's distance between AJ and me. So if I were to want to walk over to be standing next to AJ, I need to pass through the halfway point mm-hmm. to get there. And so I reach that halfway point. Well, to reach from that halfway point to where AJ is standing, I need to pass another halfway point. And there are infinite halfway points between me and AJ, and I must cross each of them to get to AJ. But... If I keep approaching by going at the halfway points, I never actually reach him. Ergo, uh, motion is an illusion. That's like stoner talk. That's like Zeno. Yeah. <laughs> He's like, what? <laughs> so, and I feel like that's the reason that people toss out and you know classicism with the bathwater. They're like, that is ridiculous because I clearly walked over to the jukebox. Yeah. So everything else is stupid. The right? Jukebox. I mean, if you're going somewhere, yeah, might as well be the jukebox. Might as well right? be to the a jukebox. sock hop. <laughs> I don't know where you'd, you'd do your <laughs> philosophy, but I'm just like, I mean, it's that sort of thing where people think intellectual is useful. Or, it's not yeah. useful and it's too rarefied and it's not doing anything. Whereas like a lot of old philosophy like really matters. Like yep. what yep. is justice? How do we be good people? Exactly. Yep. You know, is there it just to questions. do yep. mean things to your enemies? Like so, that's a great question. Yeah, so that's Mino. Um, Sorry, did he answer that? Sorry, just because you said that, AJ. Is the justice question answered? In what is justice? Kind of. Okay. Um, justice, oh man, see for, uh, is justice in Republic, because he talks about justice in a couple of different dialogues. And they're different. And in, in Republic, he starts talking about the way a city should be run. And the way a city should be run is the way our souls should be run. And justice in a city is like the right relationship between the different parts of the city. And justice in the person is the right relationship between the parts of the soul. If I'm remembering it, it correctly. It's kind of like every every person being in his place and getting what he deserves yeah. and, mm-hmm. and not sticking his nose in anybody else's business. Mm-hmm. And that's, I think, understood to be what it is in man as well, right? So like getting, the soldiers don't aren't the craftsmen and the craftsmen aren't making political decisions and political decisions aren't soldiering. Um, is what's justice in the city. Right, and he's not taking anybody else's it. goods and he's mm-hmm. not trying to rule anybody else and he's not... And you know, then, he's getting what he deserves, and he's not getting anything extra, mm-hmm. and he's not taking what anybody else has. So keeping keep his nose in his own business and getting right. what he deserves. And then the right of the ordered man is you're not letting the appetites rule, and you're not letting the brain just do brain things, but you're letting your spirited soul take over at some point and do actions and that kind of thing. Right. So he does answer it. Um, in that sense. You said it ended in conversation, so I wasn't sure if the mm-hmm. the point of that is we haven't really, like, we've gotten to a answer, but maybe we're not there yet. Yeah. And then in Credo or Crido, I can never remember how to pronounce it, they talk about justice again, but this is in the context of Socrates in jail awaiting oh. his, his punishment. Yeah. Or awaiting, his, sorry, his trial. And then they're asking, so, Socrates, now that it's coming down on you, like, what what's is this just what's justice and they have a conversation about justice there and i don't know what the basis i don't know what the details of that conversation is 
Um, the Phaedo is where they talk about the immortality of the soul. Is the soul immortal? The Gorgias is... Um, Sounds like like a like a great restaurant. It's about all the ladies, about, the gorgeous. Oh, they're all gorgeous. <laughs> or overeating. Like I'm yeah, gorgeous. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. The theory of beauty, <laughs> the gorgeous. No, this is the defense of rhetoric because apparently gorgeous was a sophist, uh, and if I'm remembering correctly, and so he, a sophist was somebody that taught people how to speak and reason and maybe philosophize, but dress up their words in order to convince people of things. And, and do it in a way that, that uh, I think, it, was it Aristotle who hated this? It was making the weaker argument appear the stronger. Oh, Socrates hated this too. It's, it's yeah. essentially what we do in our justice <laughs> system a good chunk of the time. Yeah. And they even the way they talk about judges is different. He said, why would I lie to a judge? I am asking him in his judgment to figure out what is right here. And if I lie to him or if I try to mislead him, it's like... It's like breaking a ruler before you use it to, you know, build a house. Mm -hmm, like, yeah. it's just not a good idea. Yeah. And so the way they viewed their justice system was a little bit different than the way we do. And usually the classical philosophers hated the sophists yes. because they, for them, philosophy wasn't the pursuit of the truth. It was the use of truth to make money. Mm -hmm. Or the use of, of words. Because, they would, yeah, they would sell their Dressing speaking, up right? yeah. to make money. And if truth is hit, great. If truth's not hit, whatever. As long as they get paid. As long as I get paid and you get trained, right? They, they, were, sh they were shopping around what Socrates and Aristotle and these guys were thirsting for and trying to find. And they would get this thing and then they would sell it. And, and they, they were probably cynical about it. They'd be like, you know what? Like, there's probably virtue out there. There's probably truth out there. But, like, Athens needs to protect itself from Sparta. And if we don't get these people convincing these people to pay for the army, then... Who cares about truth because Spartans are going to make us their slaves, right? Mm, so there's probably yeah. like these these sort of cynical, real practical uh, motivations behind the sophists. And the yeah. philosophers were like, yeah, but if we don't know what truth is, Athens shouldn't exist, yeah. right? So there, there is that kind of war between these, the, these sort of pure philosophers and kind of politicians and rhetoricians. And that's a really interesting tension yeah. and one that kind of needs to exist. Um, and, and I mean, doesn't that kind of mirror, I mean, this is sort of derailing, so I'm sorry, audience, mm -hmm. but it kind of mirrors the tension between modern education and classical education, mm -hmm. where modern education, the goal is to, is essentially money, right? Take all of these things that have been handed out from, for, for years and learn how to go to a good college and then get lots of cash, right? Yep. Get a good job, be part of the workforce, get a good job. And so be a good consumer. And even teachers are agents thereof, right? We're not necessarily, right. we are trying to teach them how to get get what's theirs, right? Make some ends rather than per the pursuit of truth no matter what. Mm -hmm. So Yeah. And so and so that tension, yeah, exists today as it existed then. Mm -hmm. um, the euphorio, or, so, so, sorry, the euthyphro is the defense of piety. Yeah. What does it mean to be pious? What does it mean to believe in the gods, not believe in the gods, and be pious to the gods? Um, can gods ask you to do things that are moral that make you be pious? So they have a, they have a good conversation about that. And then the last one, or it's not the last one that Plato wrote, but it's the last one for Socrates because mm -hmm. it was the Apology. And this was his defense, his trial. There are men that put him on trial. Um, and Socrates was put on trial for two crimes. The crime of being an atheist, not believing in the gods, and the crime of um, corrupting the youth. Um, taking good young men from political careers and making them useless by having them sit in the streets and think about so that one's about true. philosophy. He did that. He explicitly did that, he, right? Yes, but he goes about and he so he he defends himself, uh, and so he so the the main there's really one guy that hates Socrates and I can't remember his name, but he's the guy that puts him on trial, and there's another guy that's there because it's like kind of cool to be in court, um, and then. Uh, I can't remember if Aristophanes is at the trial or not, um, but Aristophanes um, wrote a play about Socrates like 20 years before the trial of Socrates, and he made Socrates be like a giant sort of fool, a bumpkin in the play called Clouds. Mm. And Socrates was a character, and he comes across, and he says sort of silly, foolish, dumb things, and all the kids are like, yay! <laughs> and they follow Socrates, wow. and Socrates is saying these ridiculous things like, gods don't exist, and uh, all the kids are like, we love Socrates. Mm. And so everybody grew up knowing Socrates from this play. It was like a really famous thing. Anyway, so that's an important part of the trial, because the court of public opinion is really against Socrates in many ways. Do they bring up the play? They and, do. Oh, wow. 
And so the did, apology... And that's a real thing, right? That play yes, actually you can read it. That's yeah. interesting. Yeah. Did Socrates believe in the gods? I guess um, we'll probably So Socrates this, comes... Yeah, he, so his defense is that Socrates does believe in the gods. Um, he believes in the demiurges, these sort of lower gods. And he, he believes in the gods. Um, and he believes in this oracle. So this is in the apology... It says, Socrates doesn't believe in the gods. And he's like, no, the only reason you think that is because of this play where it says, I don't believe in the gods, but I do. Um, One of his last acts is to say, hey, I, I still owe a sacrificed rooster to this god, yeah. right? And then he says, so Socrates says, um, um, I owe the Oracle of Delphi more um, to God than to anybody else. So if you let me go, I'm going to keep doing what I'm doing, which is try to find the wise man. Because this is my life's mission. The gods said that I'm the wisest. I don't buy it, so I'm going to go find the wisest. Um, and and if it means that uh, in the end I'm the wisest because I realize that I'm not wise, um, then he he sort of doesn't buy that. He says I can come to the answer just by continuing to ask these questions. So obviously I believe in the gods because I've dedicated my life to an oracle from a god. Right. And so he actually uses. The method of questioning. So this is that's the conclusion that he has. But he gets his interlocutor, who's hostile to him, to make the claim. He ba he basically gets the interlocutor to say the sentence, "Socrates is an atheist who believes in gods." Mm. Like that. That's essentially the conclusion that he gets to. And Socrates is like, "Okay, so obviously that's bunk." <laughs> um, <laughs> but then, if that happens, then why is he still killed? Well, I'm sure we'll get there. Yeah. Sorry. And so yeah. then the next one is corrupting the youth. Yeah. Do you corrupt the youth? Have you taken the youth away from? Have you corrupted them? And he says, um, if I've corrupted the youth, um, where are the youth, where are the youth who are corrupted who hate me mm. and are coming in and saying, like, Socrates corrupted me? There are none. And then they say, well, maybe they don't realize they're corrupted. Right. And so Socrates says, all right, then where are the families who realize that they're corrupted saying that I corrupted them? There are none. Mm. In fact, the men who are here, Plato and uh, some of the other Glaucon and some of the other interlocutors who are favorable to Socrates, they're here in support of Socrates. Um, and so um, this is basically, it, it comes down to, yeah, well, Socrates, you talk to people and you make people mad and they hate you. Um, so how about you stop doing that? Mm -hmm. uh, and this is where Socrates says, I'm never going to stop doing that. I will always go to the city square. I will always pull people into conversations. And anybody who claims to know anything, I will always ask them to, to show me, to lead me to how they know it so I too can know it. And if they don't know it, I will expose them as to not knowing because don't we want people who... Like that's a good thing for all of us. That's a good thing for all of us. We yeah. actually want people who know things in power. If we got some guy who's claiming to know something and he doesn't, that's no bad. And then he yeah. says, yeah, but Socrates, every person you talk to leaves n realizing they don't know anything. Right. So that's they're not going into politics because of that because they feel guilty or if they are going into politics, they're like bad people in mm. politics. So stop it. And Socrates says, I'm not going to stop it. And it's on that that he gets killed. Oh. So they come back and you had to have something like, you had to have uh, two thirds of the vote to convict. If you had less than a third, the person who brought the suit had a huge oh. penalty. Wow. And... And I think in the end, Socrates, they, what is it? Um, in the end, uh, not everybody convicts Socrates. And so they try to talk about what should be his punishment. And Socrates is like, my punishment should be five bucks. Um, <laughs> and then they say, no, your punishment should be tens of thousands of dollars. And then eventually, I, oh man, I should have looked up this. My memory on this is real fuzzy. He wants the punishment to be a hundred drachmae. Yeah, which is like nothing. And then it gets raised to 3,000. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and then seems like a pretty big difference. And Socrates is like, well, I don't have any money. Yeah, I'm never going to get any money because I'm. <laughs> I don't philosopher. work. I stand in the square and talk to people. And then, but, that, uh, but it's not sufficient punishment. It's not. So they're so. Um, and then it, it comes back down. They do another vote, and they're like, "Sorry, Socrates, uh, you're going to have to kill yourself." Yeah. And so he's like, "Fine, I'll do it, but I'm not stopping what I'm doing." And then he, um, and then there's this big old impassioned scene at the end of the apology where he makes a defense for this life of knowing yourself yeah. and this life of asking, of, of living this Socratic way of asking these questions. And he says that if, if, since the soul is immortal, there's one or two endings. Oblivion, at which point, that's fine because life is hard and, you know, sometimes you're cold and hungry and it's difficult. And if it's oblivion, okay. Or 
you're going to continue on in some capacity. And if you continue on in some capacity and I can, and there's somebody there, then there's somebody to talk to and there's someone to try to get to truth through these questions. And so he's like, and I'm cool with that. And it's kind of nice that in Dante, in Limbo, Socrates is there and he yep. is talking to people yep. and asking them those questions. Chatting them up, just and like those usual. people are probably like, oh my goodness. <laughs> like, we have to do this forever? Yeah. And isn't there, there's a part in the apology where his buddies try to help him escape. Like, yeah. they break into his cell and they're like, dude, get in the boat. We got to get you out of here. And he says, no. To go where? To yeah, do to what? Go, to do, go where? And they're like, we have to leave. And he's like, look, I have spent my entire life pursuing this philosophy and truth. I left now. It would betray everything I have worked worked up to. Like, what is my philosophy if I don't actually practice it? Yep. So he says, I'm going to stay here. I'm going to do this. I'm going to submit to the court that I support and give my sacrifice to the gods. So even one of his last acts was to prove that he was totally pious mm-hmm. and that this was a bogus trumped up charge. And then he did what they asked him to do. And it's even like kind of a funny scene. Like the, the guard is really sad that he has to, has to happen, that he has to give him. He's like, if it was my will, I wouldn't do this to you, Socrates. And he's like, dude, it's chill. It's my choice. And then he like lays down and puts the sheet over I think he says like, him. I'm thirsty anyway. Like there's some sort of, he just yeah. has this joke. He's just like a cheesy old dude. And then he like lays down and puts these covers over his face. And then he pops up and goes, oh, I forgot. I owe a chicken to this god. Would you take care of that? And the guy's like, yeah. He's like, great. And then he goes back to sleep. And so it's this, this really dramatic mm-hmm. scene. But so he is held up as the person, the man who uncompromisingly is looking for truth wherever it is. He doesn't care if it comes from a rich person. He doesn't care if it comes from a poor person. Um, And he is convinced that you find it by doing this dialectic method, this asking questions back and forth. And we've talked about dialectic before. It is essentially a corrosive or deconstructive way of understanding. Someone says, I know what virtue is. And then you ask questions and you sort of chip away and pull apart at it. And you can um, you can often chip and chip and chip until, until you have nothing, nothing nothing and you can do that to every definition of justice mm-hmm. until you don't have a definition so that's you, the, that's the danger. you need a solid point you need something that is a priori or you need something mm. that is an axiom that's what I'm, take this as a given to build a philosophy on it can't just be purely dialectic but if you chip away and there's nothing there wasn't that a bad defi- definition of justice in the first place yes yeah, and then, or if you chip away and you actually come to up some sort of absurdity, where the absurdity is Socrates is an atheist who believes in the gods, and you're yeah. like, okay, well, obviously, then you're this was a bet, then Socrates is not an atheist. Let's yeah. continue look going on with this. And Socrates does build things up, and I remember the first time reading Socrates, like loving the method. I was right. like, and I got real kind of ticked when Socrates would make definitive statements about what is, because I'd be like, how'd you get there? Like, how do you know what? That, like, how can you say that? Um, the, the, the Socratic method is um, getting to this unmoved point um, that, uh, um, how, you know, just sort of how can Socrates say something definitive about something? Um, and, and this is where it's like Plato is coming in and Plato's philosophy, where Plato is trying to say something positive, where Socrates is saying things negative, not negative in terms of he's a downer. But negative in terms of he's saying we're going to find what is by telling, but showing what isn't. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and I'm a, I'm sort of it's been a long time since I've spent too time thinking about this, but I'm of two minds about how effective just dialectic is. And this is sort of the central tension of life: is that you need to be a dialectical person. You need to be someone who can pull things apart. And you need to be able to deconstruct things to understand how they work. But there also needs to be a genius part. There needs to be a putting together. There needs to be a synthesis. There needs to be a, a living in the world. So one of, the, one of the, the claims against Socrates is that he is pulling people out of practical life. And I think that's a fair criticism. He was pulling people out of the affairs of Athens. Um, but he was pulling them out because he wanted them to... Um, know the truth. And so um, there, I think that tension needs to be in the heart of every person. You need to have a little Socrates inside of you that is always saying, do you understand this? Do you really know what this means? Can you define it? Pull it apart, understand it, like uh, uh, give it, is the definition that you have for something a good definition for it? Why? But then you also need to have a vision on the other side of what is and what should be mm. and what the good life is. And this is often supplied by the stories, the mythos. Mythos. The, the, 
the Hercules, the uh, Odysseus, the, um, um, the Achilles, uh, the heroes, the people that you look up to. And so there's always there's this, there's this tension between the mythos and the dialectic running through antiquity, and it's sort of supposed to be these two horses that are pulling at opposite sides that provide the tension that sort of raise up the person. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and they're kind of on the same team, right? And they're on the like, same it's, team. It's, it's the all, good life, the good yeah, man. It's all good life. They're, that conversation is the thing that bears up a lot of antiquity. Mm-hmm. And I think there's a few things... Like, I was always of the Socratic method style, right? I pull at things and pull at things until they unravel. And I think the goal, and this is what Socrates did, is he would convince people to leave the shore so that they could find the bedrock at the bottom of the river, right? Mm -hmm. He'd pull them out in the boat and then ask them questions, and eventually they would stand on solid ground. I think there's always the danger of pulling them away from the shore, and then then they find themselves in the ocean, right? Yeah. And there's no solid ground to be found they're they're maybe they're not smart enough maybe they don't have people around them who are smart enough or maybe it's a question that you can't answer <laughs> or even worse it's something that logic just can't tackle like uh gk chesterton points out that there are there are a lot of complete philosophical systems out there about who we are and what we are yeah. and all of them are total and complete but the same is true of someone who's totally insane and thinks that they're the king when they're not the king. And we tell him, we are not. And he's like, that's just what a usurper would say. <laughs> and, and we say, well, yes, but if you were the king, why, why are you in here? And why do we think you're crazy? And he's like, clearly because I'm actually the king and you guys can't handle with that. Like he has an explanation for everything. Yeah. It's just that his, you know, his, his little ring is complete. Yeah. It's just a small ring. It doesn't really account for everything. Mm-hmm. And so that, there's always that danger with logic and reason, right? We talked in my podcast about how Virgil can only go so far, right? Mm-hmm. He cannot, he cannot go into heaven at the end of the, That's good. the, the divine comedy. And it's because logic sometimes can't get you there. And I think that's always the danger with the dialectic is you are, you are trying to use logic to find everything, but there are certain things about ethics and justice that we understand, right? It's, it's something that is real and tangible and is outside of us and makes demands upon us that we feel and can know without proving it philosophically. Mm-hmm. Like if I see someone weak being abused by someone who is strong, I know that that's injustice, whether or not I can ask questions about it. And whether or not, yeah, you're not going to, before you act, I shouldn't come in and say, whoa, Hannenberg, yeah. before you help that weak person, what is justice? Yeah, I should go mm-hmm. help. help. And, and therein, because mm-hmm. I know, I have in my mind examples from mythos, from antiquity. And that's why our myths are important, right? That's why we read some of the old things. And that's why, I mean, we read Homer not necessarily for like the idea of justice, but we read it partially because these are the stories in the mythos that built, right? Yeah. And built up the ancient world. And this is what they understood to be worthwhile, right? Uh, The Odyssey is proving that glory is not more important than the home and that a true man's place is raising his kids and with his wife, right? So that's why we do these things. I was going to say for Chesterton too, he talks about there's, you'll get to a certain point where a thing is good because it's good. Like you'll get to a point, uh, I think his example is like, why is civilization better than savagery? And at some point you're just gonna be like, it just is like, Mm -hmm. there's not a logical argument to make for that thing. So I guess there's, there's a bedrock, like there is a thing that is good, and you just can't prove it's good through logical. Logic. There are there are assumptions, yes. and really, that's I mean, but we're we getting a little bit into the weeds here. Yep. But one of the assumptions for reason is unprovable. Like yep. reason, reason depends on it being functional, kind of on its own, mm-hmm. and and when you try to, uh, this is this comes with one of the arguments against for the existence of God is that if you argue that our brains have been developing from from creatures. And at some point our reason was not sufficient, right? We did not reason well, yep. right? As monkeys, then basically we are proving that we have had faulty reason in the past and believed it was good reason. Yep. And who's to say our reason now is any better than it was and is, you know, is not faulty. So you're basically sitting on a branch and then actively sawing it <laughs> off yep. as you try to reason your way to, uh, towards no God, yep. right? So there's, there's all these different levels where yeah, sometimes reason can't prove itself. Um, you just have to say that it's there. Yeah. And so even Socrates' questions depend mm-hmm. on certain assumptions that are unquestionable. But there's just something in me that wants to say that there's a value to the Socratic method too. So like, Oh, there is. I mean, we okay. base our classes off of it. Yeah, well, I, we're presenting the other side simply, yeah. to, because, simply because Socrates, he founded Western <laughs> culture. Like yeah. this is the guy that started it all. Yeah. And 
And I think it's really easy to think, especially in the classical world, that the Socratic method is the end-all and be-all, right? Mm -hmm. We ask questions and we get to the heart and the root of things, but to to quote C.S. Lewis, you can go on seeing through and seeing through and seeing through until there's nothing to see. We can't just tear down for the kids. Like, they need to... And so, earlier we were talking about there needs to be a, like, uh, an a priori thing, or there needs to be an axiom. And for most of human history, there was this understanding or a belief in... Uh, but it was sort of one of the fundamental beliefs of the classical world and of the classical education movement is that the world makes sense. Yeah. That we can make sense of the world. And not everybody believes that in the modern world. Right. And another sort of fundamental belief was that human beings throughout history are the same. Like there is a human nature. Yeah. And yes, we can act in different ways, but there is a general idea of what it means to be a human person that we all access through our conscience. I don't know if we still have that same impression. We don't. We think we're better than antiquity and those guys were dumber. And by the way, uh, C.S. Lewis talks about this in The Abolition of Man. It's Mm -hmm. the third chapter. He says, we've been away a certain way. Humans have been this way for as long as we can remember. And he was facing you know, conditioning, right? Prenatal conditioning where you would listen to tapes and stuff before you were born or just conditioning in general. And you could figure out how to make man react a certain way. But we're, we're facing gene conditioning where we will create something that is, we'll we'll definitely do a podcast on is is completely different. Yeah. Mm. But that, that nature that man has had is in danger Mm. now in a way that it hasn't ever been before. But so then the the balance that comes between the Socratic method of dialectic and this and the uh, I don't mythos isn't a really great word for it but this sort of synthetic method yes. of of um, building up instead of tearing down you're talking yeah. building up and tearing instead of tearing down it's more like uncovering what it means yeah. to be a human person yeah. f- through the studying of history and through the observation of other human beings you may not be able to get a perfect definition as to why that act of saving the child from the river was brave. But gosh darn it, when that child comes out in that fireman's arms and you have that feeling in your you heart. You know it's brave. And you know it's brave and you feel it. Um, it's not just a quote unquote emotional or instinctual response. Mm. It is something about being a human person that is glorious and worth praising more than than what an animal would feel, which is just instinctual. Um, and so... Uh, both of those things can be trained in the hearts of people. You can be trained to be dialectical, and we should. We should train school of logic children to be able to pull apart and understand something, and they love doing it, which is what makes them insufferable, like Socrates. <laughs> Especially 7th um, and 8th graders yeah. and ninth grade. Like, right right in that area, mm-hmm. they, they really would, want to pull it apart. They love Socrates. But there also needs to be the training in the appropriate responses to situations as they call for it. So, I mean, if I said, Thomas, it is not right to just laugh at a funeral. Mm. Um, it, is, it is wrong if you go to somebody's funeral and you just, and you just have a great time. Yeah. Look laughing. at his big dead face. Yeah, look at his big ah. dead face. And um, I don't know if, if you asked me about the questions of, well, why? And we really walked through it. If we could get to an answer a yeah. dialectical answer, or an, an answer using dialectic to say it's why. At some point we say, it is a wrong thing, or it is an unseemly thing, or it is a, um, it is the wrong response mm. to the gravity of the situation for you to be doing that. Um, there is value in going through the dialectical and asking the question. I mean, you could get to the pl- place where you like, it insults the widow, yep. and then you could ask, well, what if the widow isn't present? Mm-hmm. Then can you laugh? Mm-hmm. Probably not. What if none, no one who actually knew this what man was present? What if nobody's there and I come across a dead body? Can I laugh at it? You know, and then you're just like, no, you still can't it, because there is a sanctity that comes and, with and the human person. He's not there anymore, yeah. right? Um, so that that's where we start getting into the weeds. But, or but into trouble. so maybe we can't get to the answer with dialectic. But the correct answer is still no. You do not laugh mm-hmm. because that's what makes you a human being. And I feel like in the modern world we really reject that mm-hmm. thing where we say. No, I should be able to have the response to whatever comes my way the way that I choose it. And there, I am not appealing to some sort of form of civilized nature or some sort of higher form of how man interacts with, with the world. But the funny thing is we don't, we don't like the idea of there 
being this sort of unquestionable ethos. But we love civilized people. But we <laughs> really like people who are civilized, yeah. Yeah. and we really despise those who don't follow these rules, mm -hmm. right? If someone came and laughed at a funeral, we would... You'd be mad at that guy. We would all be super angry. It's yeah. just not appropriate. And if somebody stood up and said, no, no, it is that man's right as a autonomous individual to choose what he thinks is appropriate for this world, we would say, no, it's not. Stop being a doofus yeah, and sit down. Get out of my funeral. Yeah. <laughs> or or like if you wore a t-shirt to a wedding that had like the F word just mm -hmm. really big across the front. Like, I don't or care. Or like, love stinks. <laughs> yeah, that's just, that's not okay. Yeah. And even people who madly support an individual's right to choose would probably want that guy out of the wedding right and it's and it's not and it's not okay not just because you're insulting other people mm -hmm. if even if everybody's cool with it there's still a not okayness to the to to laughing at a funeral yeah. even if everyone's like thinks the things that you're saying are super clever and they're all laughing with you if everybody laughs at that funeral even the widow, they're like, actually, that's pretty clever. Ha, 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 ha. It's well, I mean, still not right. Not laughing at death, but if someone's giving a eulogy and makes a joke about how this guy really used to love his Pokemon, everyone's going to have a little chuckle yeah, at yeah. it, but there's still a respect for the mm -hmm. man, right? Mm -hmm. it's, where, it's where you sort of cross those mm -hmm. lines of ethics. Mm -hmm. I don't know. And, and my, 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 I'm saying that you can't come to that conclusion with dialectic. And because you... The, the problem with being too Socratic is because you can't come to that conclusion with dialectic, you don't act. Hmm. And that's was what Socrates was sort of um, uh, um, condemned for. And that's also something that I think we need to be careful of in our own hearts. Just because we can't come to the rational answer doesn't mean that we can't act like a citizen of heaven. Yeah. Just because Virgil can't get into heaven doesn't mean that nothing can get into heaven. And Shake, I mean, Socrates himself was incredible, right? Sure. I don't mean to draw the man mm -hmm. down, but he did spend a lot of time in town, mm -hmm. did spend a lot of time away from his wife. Mm -hmm. Wife, I mean, couldn't he have also, like he pursued truth, but also, I mean, would we have respected him a little bit more if he also put a lot of work towards charity or towards building something and also tried to pursue, you know, truth on the side. Mm -hmm. Like there, there would have been opportunity for him to do something productive with his life and use that philosophy. He's think, doing what he thinks is the greatest good, which right. is to uh, help people think about themselves and help people think about what is real and that's true fair. and worth doing. I just wonder if we would remember him. I'm wrong. Did. I'm a doofus. <laughs> no, no, I think what you're saying, AJ, is more the example for us of like, you don't, you don't only have to um, leave society and champion truth. Like you can do both. That's, um, the book I lent you a long time ago, Graham, The Intellectual yeah, Life, yeah. Is, is all about this balance between you kind of got to make money because, you know, you got to be able to pay bills, well, but you should also develop as a human. Pure philosophy that spins off from the world. So philosophy is also not practical. Like if, if it, it, I think it's, it's something that you shouldn't, you, it should not be championed. Yeah, that, that's Pieper's argument also from leisure is that philosophy is useless and must be useless. Mm -hmm. um, otherwise, it's a tool of tyranny. That makes me uncomfortable. Why? To say that, it's useless? That, yeah, philosophy is useless? No, 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 That's no, no. I'm way. saying that insofar as philosophy is useless. Like, if you have gone into the philosophical life and you completely spin yourself off from the world and yep. you are no longer doing anything, that is a bad thing. Yeah, I agree. But... Um, or and, and but, especially if you're doing philosophy that has no bearing on mm -hmm. normal life. But yeah. if you are somebody that never thinks about what is true and real and you just sort of unthinkingly accept everything around you yeah. or you just sort of go along to get along and you never have any critical thinking, that's all, then you're in a dangerous position too. Well, I yeah. think we're talking about an imbalanced man. I hate mm -hmm. to always bring it back that's to great. Plato's triune soul. Well, but I mean, on one side, if, you, if you're all cerebral and no will, mm -hmm. then I think that's a problem, exactly. right? And yes. if, but then on the other side, if you're all will, I'm just going to do this. Well, mm -hmm. you're, you can do silly things like Boxer from Animal Farm. Mm -hmm. He was all will. He was going to do the work no matter what. And he didn't notice that he was. Is that was, the horse? Yeah. He didn't notice that he was under tyranny and he wasn't doing anyone any good. But he was the glue that helped them, oh. kept them all together. Thanks for listening, everybody. Uh, <laughs> anyway, just to wrap up, so the war between, or the, the the apology between Socrates and the interlocutors of his trial really is this battle between, um, well, I, maybe I'll, I don't want to identify with yeah, the no, guys right. putting on mind, trial. That's not us. No, 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 no. That's really? like grumpy dudes that hated being proven wrong. Yeah, yeah, but it's, yeah. There is this tension in the classical world between philosophy that brings you to inaction and, action, and, and, and unthinking action. Yeah. 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 Mm, so both of them need to be present in the in the healthy man. And we okay. hope to do that as teachers. Yeah. So be, I guess, be okay with certain assumptions. Like mm -hmm. reason yeah. is sound. 
Mm-hmm. Uh, there's a funny spot in G.K. Chesterton's uh, Father Brown mm-hmm. mysteries. It's it's like Sherlock meets Thomas Aquinas, mm-hmm. right? He's a theologian that solves crimes. Yeah. And at the, it's the very first story. And he sits down with this guy who's pretending to be a monk. And he's like, I know you, were, you weren't a monk right away. And he's like, how did you know? He's like, you questioned reason. Mm-hmm. That's just bad theology. <laughs> he's like, reason, the church gives the good soil for reason to burgeon because we can land it in the bedrock of a deity, right? Of something that is unchanging and eternal. Whereas if you try to land it in just the development of man, that's not a good soil for reason to live. And so, yeah, I forgot where I started with this. Where was I going with this? Uh, Don't you, there are some, sometimes you can take things as givens. Yeah. So yeah, you have to take things as, as givens, but then on the other side, like actually do something with them. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, just keep think, I just keep thinking of Nietzsche. And so um, Nietzsche says all these things about how we like morality, but we don't actually want to believe in God. And so if we were really like honest with ourselves, we would do whatever we wanted to. I don't know. Socrates was not... The question I've been trying to answer for myself in this discussion is, was Socrates a, a, a nihilist, a nihilist? Did he believe that there was nothing that could be known? And that's not true. No, I don't think so. And I don't think Nietzsche was that either he, he that thought, nothing can thought, be known. We thought power was like the... Yeah, power, power was, was the truth. thing. Yeah. I mean, in Socrates' defense, he does sort of land what he thinks can be known in God. Okay. So in many ways, like, there's always been this, well, what what would Socrates have done if he had talked to Jesus? I mean, there's, there's books even book. written about that kind of thing. There's a copy in this room. Um... And because, so Socrates does kind of come up to, he's like, well, in the end, like the things that are givens are, 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 must be God Mm -hmm. and it must flow from him. And since I don't, he's not here, we're going to, I'm going to keep doing what I'm doing and asking, talking to people who claim to know something. Mm -hmm. Anyway. Yeah. All right. Well, let's, let's wrap it up. Yeah. That's great. Um, oh, sorry. That's on me. Sorry. I forgot that I kicked off this podcast. Um, so thank you all for joining us. Uh, if you have any, um, questions, comments, topic ideas, um, I don't know. Cat arts. pictures. Cat pictures. Uh, funny YouTube videos. Send those to classical stuff at veritasacademy.net. Uh, you can follow us on Twitter at C L S S C A L stuff. Isn't that right? Yeah. At Cluskal stuff. Cluskal stuff. Um, hey, if you're enjoying the podcast, would you share it with a friend? That'd be really cool. That's, share it with your friends. That, would right. you please? Um, yeah, I think it'd be really cool. Yep. Um, Yes, it's been great. Any any uh, classical stuff we got wrong, or anything we want to? Oh, uh, none. I can't think of any. I'm sure there. The, we'll hear about we'll, it. We'll, I'm sure there's something. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I think that's going to wrap it up. So uh, yeah, this has been Thomas Graham and AJ. Uh, Ciao. Farewell. Signing off. Mm-hmm.